following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. So today, um, we're really honored to be able to be here and, um, and share in front of you guys. Um, it's good to be back here. So many of the people that I love, I see here. And so, um, so thank you. Um, my wife and I, two years ago, we left with a group of people to start a missional community in Big Lake. And um, you ask the question, well, you weren't sent very far. It's only a couple miles away. You are accurate in your assessment. Um, however, um, our mission, who, the people that we are sent to are uh, a growing number of people who will never step foot inside of the four walls of a church building, whether good, bad, or indifferent. And even though I can personally vouch for this community here inside of these four walls, there is a reality, there's just a growing number of people that they just will never come. Um, and, and so that's why we go out to meet those people uh, and love them into the kingdom. So today we're talking about the church defined. That's the theme of this month's series. And you know why is it important that we ask questions like this? It's because identity affects everything we do. Slide one. You know it defines the the thoughts we choose to entertain about ourselves, our identity. It also defines the thoughts that we choose not to entertain about ourselves. There's an old translation of Proverbs 23.7 that says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So your thought life is a lot more important than what you think it is. Your thoughts shape your identity. And I think it's a really sad thing to see when a person believes something about themselves that's less than who they really are. In The Hobbit, written by J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, Gandalf the wizard, he first meets Bilbo the hobbit outside of his little hobbit hole, and he tries to recruit him into a company of dwarves that are going on an adventure. And Bilbo is not up for it. He's frazzled over the entire encounter, and he tells Gandalf he's not interested. Bilbo says, sorry, I don't want any adventures today. Thank you. We are a plain, <clears throat> quiet folk, and we have no use for adventures. I can't think of what anybody sees in them. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. They make you late for dinner. Your thoughts shape your identity, and it affects your activity. But it's a beautiful experience when you get to witness a person finally begin to believe that they are who they really are. And in our context, believe they are who God actually says that they are. So Bilbo, he goes on this adventure. He, he signs up for the role of a burglar, you know, simple hobbit. He's going to be the thief. Unbeknownst to him, he was the perfect person to be the thief. He encounters treasure, they fight and kill a dragon, they deal with lots of danger and risk, and he returns changed, forever changed. That's what I was made for. 
So, but here's the thing. Identity is not just for us as individuals. We as a community have an identity. We as the people of God have an identity. There are thoughts that we entertain about ourselves as a community, and there also are thoughts that we don't entertain about ourselves. And it's critically important that as a community, we believe the right things about ourselves, and we believe what God um, has to say about us because it affects our activity in the world. As Renee said, our lives are not just about what happens inside of this building. In fact, most of our life happens outside of this building. So it can make a difference, our identity, between living a safe, comfortable life, tending a garden like a hobbit, seeing nothing in particular of importance happen, and a life of risk-taking adventure, of dragons and monsters, of lives saved and accomplishing something great. But here's the thing, the sad reality is that most people in most communities don't have these moments, these Kairos moments that are so obvious like Bilbo had. There's no wizards knocking on our door. There's no um, uh, uh, misbehaved, burping dwarves that are eating at our table. No secret maps and sleeping dungeons, or in, in sleeping dragons. Most of us we can float along through life not realizing where we are in the journey, numb and distracted and preoccupied. Slide two. So for most of us, I believe that a sinful lifestyle is not our greatest enemy. It's passivity. It's being passive. It's sleeping while life passes us by and opportunities are missed. It's interesting, I saw this sign, behold, I am doing a new thing. And here's here's the thing about it. I once listened to uh, a leader of a multi-billion dollar industry talk all about innovation, and he said, you know what? Here's the thing about innovation. We all talk about how great it is. We all talk about how amazing it is to do something new, but nobody really likes doing anything new. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. And all of a sudden, when God invites us to go to a place where we've never been before, we're like, well, that's not the way we would have done it in 1990. I don't like that. That doesn't sit well with me. You know? He's doing a new thing. And it requires us to be stretched. You know? We're all like Bilbo. The Holy Spirit, like Gandalf, comes along and invites us on an adventure and we say, oh, that'll make me late for dinner. I don't have no, no need for those things, right? So God is doing a new thing. Amen. God is good. And he's inviting us into a lifestyle change. You know, I was thinking um, in our community, we, we've been talking a lot just in the last probably three weeks, about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to to follow Jesus. And, you know, to follow Jesus means to make changes in our behavior, right? Um, we, We like to say following Jesus is as simple as listening to Jesus and doing what he says. It's just saying yes to Jesus. But Unless you're completely different than me and you're completely Christ-like and you have no need for further growth, uh, 
I know that in my life, there are areas where I say no to Jesus. There are, because I'm, if I'm not saying yes to him in every area of my life, there are areas where I'm saying no. And he comes along with this invitation, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And to do a new thing, we have to be willing to stop saying no and to start saying yes. And it's going to require risk, but it's going to take us into a place of adventure. So question, what is the church? Or rather, it should actually be who is the church? The church is a who. Um, Ekklesia is the Greek word for the church, and it means the called out ones. Who is called out, and what are they called out to do? It can seem like a pretty basic question, but it's really important. But let me ask you this. What would you say is the most basic building block of the church? Jesus? Anyone else? You can shout it out. People? Okay. Correct, but not just any people. So let's build on that. Yeah. Somebody somebody said disciples. Yes. So the most basic building block of the church is the disciple. But what is a disciple then? Are we on slide three? Yes. Um, A disciple is a follower or an apprentice. A disciple follows in the way of Jesus. So in the early, in the New Testament, in the time of Jesus, when rabbis would um, have disciples, the disciples would often seek out the rabbi and, and ask for admittance into this mentorship program. And the goal at the end of the disciples' training period is they would act like their rabbi, they would talk like their rabbi, they would be a Xerox copy of their rabbi. Okay. A disciple follows in the way of Jesus, but oddly enough, it's a little bit different in the stories we read because instead of the disciples seeking out Jesus, what did Jesus do? He sought out his disciples and he said, follow me. And so we want to follow in the way of Jesus. But what was the way of Jesus? You ever think about that? So Jesus, what the disciples were following Jesus, Jesus spent three and a half years with these disciples before he died on the cross. What did Jesus do in those three and a half years? He was making Xerox copies of himself. He was living life with them. He was modeling to them his way, the way of Jesus. And what was the way of Jesus? John 5, 19, Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. The son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. So how did Jesus live his life? He listened to the father and he did what the father told him to do. So what does it look like to live in the way of Jesus for us to be disciples and to walk in the way of Jesus? We listen to Jesus and we do what he says, okay? As far as, as far as biblical education goes, I'm, I'm just going to take a guess. I'm probably more formally educated than most people in the room in that regard. But I can tell you, for all of the classes that I've taken and all the books that I've read, it really boils down to something very, very, very simple. Listen to Jesus and do what he says. 
It's so, so simple. So slide number four, a church is a group of Jesus followers who together listen to Jesus and do what he says. It's not like rocket science, right? We make disciples, and when disciples get together, they are the church. Disciples who listen together to Jesus and do what he says. It looks like obedience. It looks like faith. It looks like movement. That's how you know we are a community following Jesus, by our actions. It's not because we all at one time prayed the prayer to ask Jesus into our hearts. You know, oddly enough, the sinner's prayer isn't even in the Bible. You can search for it, you won't find it. The sinner's prayer is not there, but do you know what is found in the Bible? Follow me, be with me, learn from me, imitate me, walk with me, And, you know, I want to be careful here. Um, You know, this is a hard message that I've been processing myself over the last few weeks. And I know many of you, and I know there are many sincere hearts here, and I know that many of you are responding to Jesus. But let's be honest. If we're really honest with with ourselves, all of us probably have some area in our lives where we're not following Jesus. Uh, I heard a preacher say once, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Ouch. Ouch, Jesus. Ow. Each of us has a place where we're not saying yes. And if we're not saying yes to Jesus, what are we saying to him? No. No. No? To the king? To the king of kings that we sing about, right? To the one who knows us, who opens a table for us to come to, we say, nah, uh, not interested. You know, or more likely than that, rather than a hard no, we do like the Minnesota nice no, you know? You know, hey, we should get together sometime. Yeah, that'd be great, great. No, I'm I'm never doing that. No, we just ignore. We just put it off and we forget. The church is a group of Jesus followers who together listen to Jesus and do what he says. So um, there are three ways that, three focus areas for us that I'm going to briefly touch on today. But first, I want to cover just a few lessons that I've learned about the church before we get to that. So first, there are many valid expressions of what the church looks like, okay? So here we are gathered in a room in a beautiful building, we are the church, okay? Um, in Africa, the church may gather underneath a tree in the middle of the Sahara, right? Um, in our community, we may gather in a living room or have a barbecue or gather on a sidewalk. Here's the beauty about the church. There's a lot of room for diversity. So there's, um, are there any gardeners here? Okay, I got a few. I know you're a gardener. You actually work at a garden shop, or you used to. Um, interesting thing about hydrangeas. Do you guys, have you heard of hydrangeas? You, you have one? What color is your hydrangea? Well, mine goes from white to pink to purple. White to pink to purple. The interesting thing about hydrangeas is the pH of the soil affects the color of the flowers. 
So if you take hydrangeas, and there are hydrangeas that are in like the Middle East and in Asia, and they're one sort of shade of color, and there are hydrangeas that get planted in North America that are a different shade of color. It's sort of like the church. There's lots of different expressions of the church depending on what soil it's planted in. Second, the church is a living organism. Change is inevitable. God plants us in a certain time and place to fulfill his purpose in that certain time and place. So when I first started studying the church, and I, everyone, you start reading the book of Acts. You're like, oh, I just love the church in the book of Acts. I wish that we were living in the days of the book of Acts. You do not want to live in the days of the book of Acts. Half of the church was illiterate. Half of the church was slaves, and there was no internet. You do not want to live in the day. I know some of you, and I am guilty of it too. You're all looking at your phones and scrolling. You wouldn't survive a day in the church of the book of Acts. I wouldn't either. But here's the thing. We also don't want to be like the church in Elk River in 1995. Ouch. We are different today, and the world is different today. And the challenges that we are facing today are different than they were in the book of Acts and in 1995. And it's an easy tendency to wish that we could go back because it's known. It's something we knew. And to be honest, God moved in mighty ways, and we want to honor that. But ultimately... I have written here, God is doing a new thing. I didn't know you were going to have the sign here. God is doing a new thing. Jesus said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. And he sort of explained it like matter-of-factly, but you know, we don't understand because we didn't live back then. If you put new wine, if you put wine into a wineskin, into a leather bag, as it ferments, it stretches, Okay. So if you take new wine and you put it in a bag that's already stretched to its capacity, what's going to happen? It's going to pop like a balloon. So Jesus said you put new wine into new wineskins. Even if we could resurrect the past, it wouldn't fit today. And we need a willingness to be shaped and stretched, to go into the unknown future because we were made for this time. And as I said before, we need to learn from the previous moves of God. I, I, I knew that my last comment would probably ruffle some feathers, but I hope so. But let me add to this. We need to honor what God did back then, right? I, I, we got here early, and I looked through some of the picture books that were back there, and I saw a really amazing picture of Pastor Dave. You, if you can't find it, I have it forever saved on my phone. But <laughs> it, was, it was so cool to be able to look at those pictures and I could see some of you in your younger forms. And I, I, could, I could sense in the pictures the move of the Spirit and the excitement about being able to build this building because God was doing a new thing. And you're moving from that junior high to this new building. And it was amazing. And I think that for us younger people, we need to remember to honor what God has done in previous generations. We need to learn from those things. But we need to push on. 
We need to take those lessons and move into the new thing that God is wanting to do. We have to let the lessons of the past guide our discovery today. I'm on slide five, is that? Yes. There's a verse in Acts 13. David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation... The grammar's a little off because it's sort of a fragment of a sentence. But David served God's purpose in his own generation. And in each season, God has a purpose that he wants to accomplish. And we have to take the lessons, the foundations that have been built for us through previous generations, and we need to not be afraid to launch into something new and, and not try to, again, resurrect the past, but to forge on in the future. So, what are God's purposes today? You can't find that out by reading the news or listening to your favorite political pundit or politician. The only way as a church, as a collection of disciples, is for us together to listen to Jesus and to hear what what is this new thing that you're wanting to do and then to do what he tells us to do. We can become so fixated on restoring the past that we miss what God is doing today. We can be like the Israelites who were carried off in exile to Babylon. So this has been on my heart for a while. The Israelites were carried off to Babylon. They were in a foreign place. They weren't happy to be there. And you know what they were doing? They weren't putting down roots. They were grumbling about where they were. They were just generally sour They were not happy about the new thing that God was doing. But this is what the word of the Lord said through Jeremiah. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. You can go to slide six. To all the exiles, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. I feel like this is the message that God has for us today. Okay? Yes, Things are not looking good in our society in many ways. We can feel like the Israelites felt. I'm in a different place than what I was raised in, and I'm not happy about it. And we can allow that bitterness to like keep us from owning the place that God has us planted in here and now. Pursue the well-being of the city. Like the Lord was saying to them, you're in a foreign country in a wicked, godless nation. Pursue the well-being of the cities that you've been planted in. Because when it thrives, you will thrive. Today, we are witnessing the collapse of Christendom in our culture. We are where Europe was 20, 30 years ago. The church is being pushed to the margins of society, and there is no shared sense of cultural morality anymore. Good is called evil, and evil is called good. And it's easy to look on the past with fondness, but we need to look forward to the adventure that is before us. 
We are here in 2021 for such a time as this. Put down roots. There's no loss in the kingdom of God. What does it say in Isaiah? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. We know the end of the story. We know that the final death blow was dealt on the cross when Jesus stretched out his arms and he died on the cross, crowned as king of the universe. So like from at this point forward, no matter how bad things look, the kingdom can only increase. The kingdom never takes steps back. The kingdom always takes steps forward. You hear these stories coming out about Afghanistan of all, you know, all the American troops left and all of the, the tragic things that are happening in the natural in the midst of Afghanistan, but there's stories coming out of revivals that are occurring and people are getting saved and signs and wonders are happening, right? So we can either choose to side with what's happening in the natural or we can look at what God's wanting to do in the present, how the Holy Spirit is wanting to manifest. So remember, the life of the disciple and the life of a church should be guided this way. Listen to Jesus and do what he says. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said, there is no road to faith or discipleship, no other road, only obedience to the call of Jesus. Faith is only real when there is obedience and never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. So if we are going to be people who listen to Jesus and do what he says, that means that we have to obey. We have to surrender. We have to stop fighting him, stop saying no to him. I'm not to hit the mute button. Thank you. Um, So God values a community who pursues the well-being of the city through a shared lifestyle of radical obedience. So what does that look like? So there's three non-negotiables. And I think no matter what church you're in, no matter what country you're in, no matter what time period you're in, there's three essential elements that we have to keep in mind. And there's only three, and they all begin with C because I'm a little OCD. And that rhymed, and I didn't intend it to. So the next slide, the first one is communion with God. Okay? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and all of your strength. And that is not just for us to do by ourselves. If you read through the New Testament, you'll be hard-pressed to find a lot of language about having a personal, individual relationship with Jesus. Most of the time, it's a communal faith. We together should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, soul, and strength. Even Jesus, when he taught the disciples how to pray, he didn't say, pray my Father who art in heaven. He said, pray our Father who art in heaven. We have a communal faith How are we walking this out, though? Together, are we living such that we place everything before the Lord? Communion with God, worship, is partially this, what we experienced this morning, which was so amazing. But the majority of worship takes place outside of these walls. You know what worship in the Old Testament looked like? It looked like laying things on the altar and killing them, pouring things out. It looked like loss. It looked like laying down our own priorities. 
So the action that we can take to pursue communion with God is to pursue surrender and obedience to what he tells us to do. And that's always going to imply risk. Well, what happens? What happens if I give this thing up? He says, trust me. Trust me. You don't need to know. Remember, like, we're children. He's our father. We don't... Do you explain to your kids why you do everything that you do? If you did, uh, if you do, I'm sorry for you because you're probably going out of your mind, <laughs> right? There are certain... Sometimes it's like, listen, it's not important that you understand what I'm telling... The, the reason why. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And trust in my goodness. Slide number eight. The next thing. So we have communion with God. Again, as a people, are we listening to Jesus? Are we doing what he tells us to do in the context of communion with God? In the context of community, are we listening to Jesus and doing what he says? The second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So personally, am I tangibly loving my neighbors like at all? Like, am I loving them at all? let alone loving them like myself. Together, as a community, do we have rhythms that we engage our neighbors? You know, you may ask, well, doesn't this mean like the others, like just as in the body of Christ? Yes, it can. And I think God is honored when we're vulnerable with one another and when we work through conflict and we grow as a family. And part of that, like it's true, God has made us to be a family. He's adopted us into his family and we have to learn how to live with one another and honor one another in all of our differences. But also, our neighbor doesn't just mean those of us here. If you remember the parable of the, um, the Good Samaritan, when the man asked, well, who is my neighbor? Right? Our neighbor can be people that we wouldn't normally consider our neighbor. It could be the guy down the street. It could be somebody that you work with. And the way that we follow in the way of Jesus by loving our neighbors, by being in community, I think it requires having compassion and having vulnerability, being vulnerable and taking risks. And lastly, and this is the one that I love, number nine, slide number nine, is being on mission. Now, you say, well, it starts with C. Yes, it does, because I'm OCD, and they all have to start with C. It all has to be organized nice and neatly. But there's a reason for this, because we have the great commandment of loving God. We have the second greatest commandment of loving others. And then we have the great commission that Jesus gave us. The last words before he left, where he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always until the end of the age. And it's called commission because he sends us, but I like to call it commission because we do it with the Holy Spirit. Commission. It's not God doesn't give you a mission. God already has a mission He's already engaged in mission for the world. He's already out there. We just get to go and discover where he's already active and partner with him. Here's the thing. God's already active in your neighborhood. He's already in your neighbor's houses. 
He's already hearing the conversations that they're having. He's already working. And the joy that we get to have is that we get to partner with him. It's like... uh, it's not like you, when I was younger, I used to think that I'm taking Jesus, like here's Jesus and I'm going to take him over here to a place he isn't. And boy, there was so much pressure. Oh man, what if I get it wrong? What if I somehow misrepresent Jesus and then it blows it up for this person? No, the reality is the Holy Spirit is already working and we just get to have the joy of just having eyes to see what he's doing and just bless it and just partner with it. This, I believe, is the lost identity of the people of God, being on mission. We are all missionaries. Whether you feel qualified or not, we're all missionaries. We are all sent. Well, I can't preach like Bob can preach. No, you can't. Well, I can't counsel and love people like Jay Bryan and Renee. No, you can't. I can't encourage people like Dave and Susie. No, but you know what? Your neighbor doesn't care who Renee is. Your coworker doesn't care who Bob, Bob, who's Bob? I don't care about Bob, you know? But, but maybe God doesn't need a Bob in your neighbor's life. He needs you. Maybe... Yeah, maybe you can't preach in front of a crowd, but maybe you can make an amazing brisket and you make a brisket and like everyone in the neighborhood shows up to eat it. Maybe that's your spiritual gift. Hospitality, creating a place where people can feel loved and they can feel like they can belong. Maybe your coworkers need a listening ear. Here's the thing, and I'm almost done. And Elisa, do you want to come up so you can close this for me? Um, Here's the thing, the most revolutionary idea in Christianity is different than every other religion. Do you know what it is? In Christianity, every follower of Jesus is a priest. Yeah, that's good. He has made us to be a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests to, to our God. All of you are priests, and what does a priest do? A priest represents the people on behalf of God. A priest cares for the people on behalf of God. Each of you have a place where God has sent you and planted you as priests in your neighborhoods and in your, co- in your, in your places of business to be a light, to create an environment where people can taste and see that God is good. That's all that you have to do. There's no pressure. It's not like you're going to you know, say the wrong thing and, and blow everything up. Our job is just to create opportunities where people can taste how good God is and how good his kingdom is, even without saying his name, just creating such an amazing barbecue and a welcoming atmosphere with that brisket that people are like, you know what? You know, Dave, whenever I'm around you, whenever I'm like sitting at your table, I just feel peace. I just feel so good. And when they say that, what an amazing opportunity to say, well, you know what? I just do it because God loves you and he loves me. And like, that's it. What an amazing way to partner with Jesus to let them taste and see that God is good. So it's more of a slow burn. And that's what we've noticed, isn't it? Loving people. It's, uh, you know, it's not normally for us walking up to a random person and like, 
hitting them with a prophetic word. Some of you are gifted in that, and I bless that. That's not me. What I have noticed for us, it's more of a, a marinating, and you show them, you give them a little taste, and they leave, and then they get hungry, and they come back, and you just give them another little taste of Jesus, showing them, enticing them. It's not so much making converts, it's making people who are addicted to the presence of Jesus. And they're not just willing to pray a prayer, but when they experience this way of life, they're willing to give up everything. Whatever you have, like, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to be part of this. That is what we want. So, anyway, um... I'll just say this. And I know some of you walked in here about five minutes late, so if you could just give us a few more minutes here. <laughs> like that? Amen. So you may... You know what? Statistics say that in this kind of context, you're going to forget 95% of everything that I've said. So if you've gotten something and you need to go, you can go ahead and go. But here's the thing. (laughs) This kind of message can feel, can feel a little bit like legalism and a little bit like works-based religion. And you know what? It could feel like that. But I think sometimes we hide behind those opinions when really it's the Holy Spirit who's just convicting us that we need to move. We need to get out of our comfort zone. So the church defined, before the church was a place to go, the church was a movement. It was a Jesus-focused, disciple-making movement. It was made up of people who committed to communing with God together, loving their neighbors together, and making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples together. The church was a tool in God's hands to transform the world from the fringes of society, from the cracks and crevices in hallways and backyards. The church was a revolution. It still is. And it all begins with each of us committing ourselves to a lifestyle of faith and a lifestyle of spontaneous obedience. And it all begins with saying yes to him. So. I really liked what you said about being a priest And I think um, that we're priests. I think, like, God really wants us to take responsibility for the things that he's entrusted to us and to be passionate about something, you know, because there's kind of a lack of passion in our world, and I think part of that comes from just being, like, on our phones. I know for me, like, it's so numbing and deadening to me to just be on on Facebook or whatever. And I, I think like God really, and, and this goes for you young people too, like God really wants to awaken like a passion inside of you. And um, I think God wants us to take responsibility for, for the precious people that he's put in our life. And I think this is one way that we can say yes to Jesus. I just had a quick little diagnostic um, some questions that, that we can ask ourselves. Do, do I have space in my life to pray? Am I making space in my life where I'm empty so God can fill me? That's a good question. Do you have a plan? Like if you wanted to like 
learn how to be a master chef? Would you take some classes? Would you be intentional about that? What about prayer? Like, do you have a plan for prayer? Do you have, do you have like, are you intentional about like letting yourself be empty so that you can um, be filled with the Lord? That's one question. Um, are you being vulnerable with anyone? Vulnerability is really kind of a scary thing, but um, I heard somebody say, you, uh, vulnerability is the birthplace of intimacy and joy. You know, even with being vulnerable, having, do you have someone that you can pray with? Like, is there someone that you can consistently pray with that, who loves Jesus and that you can be vulnerable with and that you can even like maybe confess some sin to? I actually did that early this morning. I wrote Betty, who's sitting right there, an email and I've been confessing some, some sins to her. Um, but there's so much healing that comes in that. And I feel known. And, and God's, like, changing me through that. Um, are you willing to obey God in the little things? Because, like, many of us say, if God, if God sends me to Ukraine, I'm going. Praise God. There needs to be people in Ukraine. But... What about some of the little things are we willing to like? What about that person that just digs you? Oh, I have some of those people in my life. That person just knows just how to get under your skin. And like, what about loving that person? Passionately loving. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to, Holy Spirit, you are going to teach me how to love this person. I'm going to pray for this person, you know? So those are just some questions. Um, that I had, and um, we just really love you guys, and thank you so much for having us here. Thanks for praying for us. Thanks for um, your encouragement, and we we are part of you. We, we consider you guys our home, and thanks for letting us share. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.